My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Welcome to Peace by Believing. We're going to be thinking today about how we can defeat the devil in our daily lives. Now, the devil creates all kind of problems for all of us. He is our enemy. He is our adversary. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so that's the bad news. But the good news is that God in his word has given us some very clear instructions about how we can defeat the devil, not in our strength, but in the power of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that this message today will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the devil. The Bible is clear about that. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, he defeated the devil at the devil's point of strength, sin, and death, and Jesus came back to life. So the devil is a defeated foe, but he is still a foe. He's still squirming around. In fact, the Bible says it's stronger than that. The Bible says he goes about like a roaring what? a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So from a spiritual perspective, the devil is defeated. But from a practical daily perspective, we still deal with the devil. He's still wreaking havoc in the world, in nations, in families, in individual lives. The devil is the one who puts thoughts in your mind of fear about the future. The devil is the one who makes you feel guilty about sins that God has already forgiven. The devil is the one who tries to paralyze you and put you in a, in a vice grip of discouragement or even depression. And so anytime you're experiencing those emotions or those thoughts, you know that is the devil coming against you. And so God in his word has given us a prescription or a, a way, a game plan as it were, for us to defeat the devil in our own lives. So if you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter number 12, I want to show you two things. I want to make two statements. And it's just this simple. This is how we defeat the devil in our lives. It's how we get free of guilt and anxiety and nervousness and bondage and, and uh, all these things in life that can mess us up. If we will, fear is a huge thing the devil uses. First of all, we have to put our focus on Jesus. Now, when you write that down, write it down uh, in the second person. Put your focus on Jesus. The devil, in your life and in mine, wants us to think about everything but Jesus. He wants us to think about our sinful past. He wants us to think about people that may be causing some problems. He wants us to think about illnesses. He wants us to think about financial problems. He wants us to worry about the future. The devil will put enough things in your mind to keep you from focusing on Jesus if you'll let him. We've all had times, and we all do have times, when the devil will come and put a thought in our mind of fear or doubt or guilt or worry or whatever. And the way that we respond to that is that's what determines whether or not the devil wins or we win. And if we take that bait, if we take the thought that he puts in our mind and run with it, he wins. And we're no longer living the abundant life. We're living a defeated life. 
But if we can figure out how to respond to these thoughts that he's putting in our minds, then we get the upper hand over the devil again through Jesus Christ, and we can overcome him. And so whatever thought, whatever negative thought that the devil puts in your mind, you have to respond to that thought by focusing on Jesus and more specifically, his blood. Now, the second step is so very important. We're probably more familiar with what I've said so far than what I'm about to say, because I think all of us here today, certainly those of us who are saved, we trust the blood for salvation and for everything else. But this second way to beat the devil is something that we may, uh, we may have overlooked this in, in some of our lives, and if so, we need to, we need to incorporate this into how we live. And that is simply this, express your faith out loud. Express your faith out loud. You know, our words are very important. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's say that together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words are very important. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says your words, the expression and confession of your faith is so important that you can't even be saved without confessing your faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul said, if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God is raising from the dead, then we'll be saved. Now, we have to have faith in our heart first, but if, if, if that faith is genuine, it will express itself with our words. You can't have one without the other. Some people run around confessing and expressing faith, and they don't have anything in their heart. Well, that's just as bad. In fact, Jesus said there's coming a day at the final judgment when many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, they're going to make the confession. But Jesus said, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because even though they confessed with their mouth, they didn't believe in their heart. So it has to start in our heart. We have to make sure we're trusting the blood of Jesus to save us, to heal us, to protect us, to give us the abundant life, to defeat the devil. But if that faith is genuine, it will come out in our mouths. And so expressing your faith, listen to people's words. Sometimes you'll ask somebody how they're doing and They'll say, well, I'm not doing very well. I've, I've got a headache and I feel bad. Did you know? Now, I'm not saying if, you've, if a family member, I'm not saying you can't be honest with people close to you. But did you know to go around talking about all your symptoms and all your aches and all your pains? I'm not even, I don't even think that's biblical. Because the Bible says in Joel chapter 3, let the weak say, I am what? Strong. It doesn't say let the strong say I'm strong. I mean, the strong would automatically say I'm strong. Let the weak say I'm strong. And it doesn't say let the weak say I'm strong as soon as they get strong, or let the weak say they're strong as soon as they feel stronger than they are. No, let the weak say I'm strong. In Romans chapter 4, this is a very important principle. It talks about that we have to call those things that don't exist into being before they ever come to pass. Just like God spoke and the world came into existence. Now, that doesn't mean that everything we say, it doesn't mean that I can drive home today and see a half million dollar home and I say, in the name of Jesus, I call that home as mine. I receive that house. 
I can't, claim, I can't claim things that God hasn't named. People talk about name it, claim it. They say, John, are you against name it, claim it? Well, I'm for name it, claim it, as long as we qualify what that means. Friend, if God has named it, you can claim it. And God has named that if you trust Jesus, you're saved and forgiven. He has named that Jesus on that cross took your sicknesses and infirmities. Now, you don't know if it's going to be in this life or in heaven. That's God's business. But we can go ahead and claim it. And so, I think as a general rule, if somebody asks you how you're doing, you should say, well, I'm doing fine. Now, again, if it's your spouse, and I mean, you don't, sometimes we have to, with close people, say, you know, today I'm just not doing so well. That's okay. But just every day to everybody to talk about everything that's wrong, you know, just you, maybe we need to start saying, I'm blessed. I, I know some, some people say, yes, that question, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. And uh, I got on an elevator one day in a hospital with a, with a lady. I said, well, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. And I thought, well, I'm blessed to be on the same elevator with you because that's how we should all, that's how we should live. So what we've got to do when the devil puts these thoughts in our mind, we have to, first of all, believe in our hearts, hey, the blood of Jesus is greater than all that, but then we have to express it out loud. Now, I've printed in your bulletin, and I've even given given you scripture verses for these, but these are seven things that fairly recently I, in my own life, have started expressing to God every morning, or I'm trying to remember to do, it's kind of new, so I'm, some days I'll miss a day, but I'm trying every day before I leave my house as part of my Bible reading and prayer time, I'm trying to remember to say these things to God. I said it this morning when I was home, and what it does, it just puts your focus on God You start your day off not thinking about your problems or your aches or your pains or your past or or, or anything. You just start thinking about Jesus. So let me just mention these. I think you could, if if, if I were you, I would either memorize this list or modify it or make up your own list or maybe seven's too many for you. I like seven because it's a perfect number. But uh, three is a good number too. So you get down to three, whatever, however you want to do this. But this is what I say to God. And I've, I've listed these kind of in what I consider to be somewhat of an order of priority in my own life. Say, God, I just want to thank you today, first and foremost, that I'm saved. That I'm saved. You know, that'd be an interesting thing if just to ask the Christians in this room today, when is the last time you thanked God that you're saved? Well, I thank him that I'm saved all the time because I lived for a long time not knowing if I was saved for sure, and that was bondage, and now God brought, taught me to trust Jesus, and now I live in absolute freedom, and I just say, God, I want to thank you I'm saved. I thank you I have the assurance of my salvation. God, I just, I just thank you that I'm saved. That's a great way to start the day. Second thing, God, I just want to thank you not only am I saved, I thank you that I'm healed, that you have healed my body of any sickness that ever has come against me, any problems I might ever have had. And God, I just thank you that I'm healed. Now, in my particular case, I am healed. Thank God I am healed. He's healed me. But I just say that to God. I say, God, I thank you that I am healed. I, I, some, even if you don't feel strong one day, God, I thank you that I'm healed. Here's something else we can say to God. God, I thank you not only that, I, that I'm healed, I thank you that you are absolutely in control of my life. As I begin this day, I'm not at the mercy of anybody. I'm not even at the mercy of me. I'm at the mercy of you, and nothing's coming into my life that you have, unless you've allowed it, so it's going to ultimately be for my own good. So I thank you today that you, whatever happens out there today, God, you are totally in control of my life. Not only that, God, I thank you as I begin this day that you are all I need. God, you and I are a majority, 
And I thank you today that you, I, my sufficiency is in you. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. Lord, I have you. And I thank you that you uh, are all that I really need. Number five, God, I thank you today that I have the mind of Christ. We read about this in Corinthians. When we received, when we got saved, not only did Jesus come to live in our hearts, but he placed his mind in our mind. We have the mind of Christ. Just say, God, I thank you today that I have your mind. I have wisdom. God, today I have the ability to make good decisions. Be forced with a lot of decisions today, God. I'm not going to worry about it. I have the mind of Christ. And when the time comes to make a decision, you're going to help me to make the best possible decision. Lord, not only that, I thank you that as I go through this day, you're watching out for me. You're protecting me. You have sent your angels to keep me safe today. And Lord, I thank you for that. I just thank you that, 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 that I'm safe in your hands. And then God, and this, is, this seventh one is from a verse in Psalm 5 that I only learned recently. But I just say this, I thank you, God, that as I go into this day, I am surrounded by your favor as with a shield. That's what it says in Psalm 5, verse 12, that God surrounds us uh, by, you know, with his favor as with a shield. And so, God, today, I thank you that I'm blessed, that good things are going to happen to me today, and goodness and mercy are following me. It talks about, in, I think it's in Deuteronomy 28, that if we'll be obedient to God, his blessings will chase us down. And so what I'm saying is when the devil comes to you with all these, negative, all these negative thoughts, the way to respond to that and to beat the devil at his own game is to take that thought, turn it around, look at it from a biblical perspective, and turn it into an occasion to praise God. And if you'll do that, you're going to find that instead of being afraid and fearful and uptight and angry and doubtful and guilt and regret and all that junk, you're going to begin to have a new, God, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that you're in control of my life. Thank you that you've healed my body. Thank you for all these things. And it's going to change you from living, really, a life of bondage to living a life of freedom that God intends for you to have. Well... We really can beat the devil at his own game if we will do those two things, if we will put our focus on Jesus, on his love for us, on the blood that he shed on that cross to pay for our sins, and then if we will express our faith out loud. In other words, if we will say with our mouths what we believe in our hearts. But the important thing is that we do believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is God himself, and that he, in fact, is the Savior of the world. We want to make sure that in our hearts we are truly trusting him as our Lord and as our Savior and that our heart is filled with faith. And so we can't confess a faith that we don't have. It would be silly for a person to run around making positive confessions or making faith confessions or even quoting scripture verses or even saying that they believe Jesus and trust in Jesus if they don't do that. The most important thing is what is happening in our heart. Before there can be a genuine confession of our faith, there must first be uh, actual faith, saving faith in our hearts. It's interesting, if we were to go and conduct a survey and ask a hundred people, uh, do you believe in God? Most all of them would say yes. And many people think that's what it means to be saved, that you just believe in God, you believe there is a God, you even believe in Jesus, you believe that Jesus lived, that he died, 
that he was buried and that he rose again. But that's not saving faith. In fact, the Bible says that even the demons believe those things. The devil himself believes in God in an intellectual sense. But when the scripture talks about putting our faith in Jesus, it's not talking about believing that. It's talking about believing in believing in the person of Jesus Christ. So just to have intellectual knowledge and even to believe facts in our minds and academically, that doesn't mean that a person is saved. To be saved, we have to commit our lives to Jesus. An illustration I like to use is this. If we went to an airport and we were standing outside the airport or even inside the airport and we were looking out the window and we were watching the planes take off and there goes a plane from Houston to Dallas or from Dallas to Atlanta or from one city to another city and you and I are standing there talking about that and if I were to say to you, do you believe that plane is going to go from Houston to Dallas? You would say, well, sure I do. If I said, do you believe that plane there is going to make it to uh, from Houston to Seattle or from whatever city to whatever city, you would say, sure. In other words, you would be saying, yes, I believe that that plane can get from one city to another city. But the fact is, unless you get on that plane, unless you commit yourself to that plane, you're not going to make it from one city to another city. Well, it's the same thing with God. Just to say, I believe in God and that he lives and he exists and even that he's the savior of the world, that doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven when you die. In order to go to heaven, you have to commit yourself to Jesus Christ. You have to get on the plane. You have to put your life into his hands and trust him to take you one day to be with him in heaven. And so as important as it is to confess our faith, it is really even more important, and it's certainly the prerequisite to confessing our faith, is having faith in our hearts, knowing that Jesus Christ is living in our hearts. And so one of the questions Jesus asked in the New Testament, he said, when the Son of Man comes, he's talking about when he returns to this earth, he said, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, when he comes back, will people be trusting him? The question that we should ask ourselves is, is this, if Jesus Christ came back today, would he find faith in our hearts? Would he find faith in your heart? Are you trusting Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Do you have saving faith? Now, today, if you could just use your imagination and play like you are sitting with me in my office at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and you said to me, John, I want to know for sure that I have saving faith. I want to know that I am right with God, that I am trusting in Jesus to be my Lord and to be my Savior. How can I know that? I would begin answering that question by saying to you, in order to have saving faith in Jesus Christ, there are three things you have to know in your head. There are just three things you have to believe. First, you have to believe that there is a God and that He loves you. You have to believe that. A person can't be saved if he doesn't believe in God. And so that's the first thing we have to believe. There's a God in heaven. He knows my name and he loves me. He loves me when I do good. He loves me when I do bad. Never stops loving me. That's the first thing you have to believe. The second thing we have to believe in our head is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's standard. In the Bible, there are several different words for sin. One of those words means to miss the mark. In other words, when you were born, God, it's like God had put a target 
uh, in front of you. And in the middle of that target, the bullseye for God's will for your life was that you would never sin. That was God's perfect plan for your life and for my life. But the Bible says we have all sinned. We have all missed the mark. And so we have to realize that we have, we have done things we never should have done. We have said things we never should have said. We've thought things we never should have thought. And all those things are sin. And those sins separate us from God. And so I would say to you, the second thing you have to know is that you have sinned. You, just like I have sinned, you have sinned. And those sins have separated you from God. The next thing that a person has to know in order to be saved is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for those sins. The Bible teaches that our sins must be paid for. Just like if you get a speeding ticket, you have broken the law and you must pay. Well, it's the same with God. We break God's law and we must pay. And so someone says, well, how much does it cost? What is the, what is the fine? Well, the Bible says the payment or the wages for our sins is death. And so it is a heavy fine. It is serious business. And that is bad news because none of us wants to have to die to pay for our sins. But the good news is we don't have to. That's the message of the Bible, that God loved this world so much. He loved you so much and me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived on this earth for over 30 years. He never sinned. Now, you think about that. In 30 years of living, he never said anything that he shouldn't have said. He never did anything wrong. He never even thought anything wrong. He was perfect. And yet he knew that one day you would be born and that I would be born and that we would sin. He knew those sins would have to be paid for. And so he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to pay for our sins. His death is the payment for your sins and my sins. Because again, the Bible says the payment for our sins is death. And as they put those nails in Jesus' hands and in Jesus' feet, blood, of course, came out of his body. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. We used to sing a song, and sometimes we still sing a song here in our church, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We can't get our sins forgiven given by uh, turning over a new leaf, promising to do better. We can't get our sins forgiven by going through religious rituals, by taking the Lord's Supper, or even by being baptized. That will not make our sins go away. You don't get your sins forgiven by joining a church. You get your sins forgiven by asking Jesus Christ to take that blood that he shed on the cross and to wash those sins away. And so Jesus died. He was buried. Three days later, he came up out of that grave. Forty days after that, he returned to the Father in heaven. That's where Jesus is today. He's in heaven. And one of these days, he's coming back. He's coming back. The Bible says one of these days, there's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. There's going to be the trumpet of God. And Jesus is going to come out of heaven. He's going to come to the air. And everybody who's saved is going to be caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. And so the question for us is, have we received Jesus? Once we believe those three things in our head, God loves us, we have sinned, Jesus died to pay for our sins. The fourth thing that has to happen is not in our head, it is in our heart. We must by faith receive Jesus Christ into our heart to be our Lord and Savior. And you may say, well, now, John, how do I do that? 
How can I get Jesus to come into my heart? Well, Jesus said in the Bible that he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. And if we will hear his voice and open the door, he said he would come in and forgive our sins and make us a Christian. And so in order to be saved, we must pray and invite Jesus Christ to come into our heart. We repent of our sins and say, Lord, forgive me of everything I've done wrong and help me to live a different life. We, we don't promise God that we're going to never sin again. We don't say, God, I promise to be better. No, repentance is, God, forgive me for what I've done wrong and help me in the future not to do those things. Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, make me a Christian. And then we simply just trust Jesus to answer that prayer. And we just say, Lord, I have asked you to save me and I have trust, I do trust you to do it. And so if you've not done that, I want to lead you in a prayer even now that you can pray from your heart to God. He will hear it and he will answer it. And today can be the day of your salvation. If you'll just say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, amen. And so, friend, if you have prayed that prayer and you meant it, you are born again. You are trusting Jesus. And so now what you want to begin to do is to say what God has said. You're forgiven. You're saved. You're a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. Now that you're believing in your heart, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. May God bless you, and we'll look forward to being with you next time.